There you go. All right, we're started up. So this is the first podcast of the Sports Analytics Club. Uh, I'm your host, Paul Agrippo, uh, president of the Sports Analytics Club, and I'm here with the head of baseball and head of basketball, Zach McLaughlin and Andrew Viseglia. What's going on, boys? How are we doing? How are you doing? Um, So we kind of just wanted to start with an introductory. Um, Since this is our first one, this is all of our first times even doing a podcast, Uh, so bear with us. We're going to do our best. Um, So basically, we're all just going to introduce ourselves. Um, So I'll start. I'm Paul Logrippo from Long Island, New York. Uh, I'm a junior here at Fairfield. Um, So I I started this club the end of last semester, uh, my sophomore year. Um, and this year, first semester, it's up and running. Um, so it's been, it's been fun. It's been very exciting. Um, I've just kind of always had a passion for sports. And um, with my brother Joe, I kind of started to get into the sports analytics world. Um, and ever since then, I kind of just took off and wanted to just learn more and more um, and worked with the advisor of our club, Philip Maiman, um, brilliant guy. Uh, and he helped me start this club. Um, so I do not have any experience in sports analytics, um, but I am looking to get into that field. Um, so that's pretty much me. Uh, Andrew, take it away. Awesome. So thanks so much for, for having me on, Paul. I really appreciate it. So um, I'm Andrew Seglia. I'm also from Long Island. Uh, I'm a senior here at Fairfield. And as Paul mentioned, I'm the co-head of the baseball department for the sports analytics club and as paul himself also he's i've uh, gotten into sports from a very young age you know i played baseball uh, little league travel ball high and school baseball i did play with paul we were teammates <laughs> for a couple years on the on the marlins there with travel ball um and yeah you know baseball in particular has always been a really big part of my life you know my dad and i share a special bond with that uh, me and my parents, we've gone to see 28 of the 30 major league stadiums. And, you know, sports analytics kind of became that kind of, I'd say, best field for my my subject area and my passion for, for baseball uh, with combining, you know, computer science and math, uh, math statistics also. And, you know, the marriage of those two things has really been a blessing, I would say. And uh, lucky enough to get some experience in sports analytics this past summer, Worked with the uh, Orleans Firebirds and the Cape Cod Baseball League. Uh, got on kind of a weekly schedule with getting our hitting coach some reports of our hitters involving, you know, exit velocity, launch angle. Uh, calculated some, you know, key metrics like WOBA, WRC plus, and uh, yeah, it was just a really great experience. And uh, going right now through the process of applying with a quantitative analyst associate role with the Philadelphia Phillies. So, you know, definitely learning a lot more about sports analytics as I go and uh, looking forward to what we get done with this club. Awesome. Thank you. Good luck with that application. Uh, Zach. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, My name is Zach McLaughlin. I'm a junior. I'm a finance major here at Fairfield, and I'm from Torrington, Connecticut originally. Um, uh, I'm currently the co-basketball head uh, for our department here in our sports analytics club. And my entire life, as Andrew and Paul both said, I've been a huge sports fan. Uh, basketball specifically has been the sport that I played all throughout my life. 
And as you as I got older and started to really understand higher levels of math and was exposed to a lot of data sets and just different types of data uh, through my finance degree uh, that I'm working for towards, uh, I really just noticed that sports, my favorite like my favorite topic in general and a passion that I have, also is using these advanced metrics to develop this data that is really cutting edge and helping these teams uh, take advantage of the new research that we have. So I really got interested into uh, sports analytics that way. And currently, I uh, do not have any working experience with uh, within sports analytics, but I have uh, worked at a bank that I had to work with a lot of larger data sets. All so right. now I get to see data sets that I enjoy looking at a little bit more because uh, they're looking at my favorite topic. So. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, this is going to be fun. Of course. Well said, well said. I'm very excited for this. I've always wanted to do a podcast. So me too. Is, yeah, this is awesome. Um, so first off, I want to talk about, like, what actually sports analytics is. Um, a lot of people, you hear it on TV with, like, oh, that was the analytics, that was the analytics. <laughs> Even though they were like, oh, that was an analytics play, they always blame it, blame it on the analytics, but they never give credit to it. Um, but I just got some definitions offline because I feel like this would be like the best way to explain it. Um, so from a website uh, called Hevo Data, um, their definition was a study of analytical data involving players and their performances in order to determine their weaknesses and strengths. Um, so basically this could be uh, associated with, I feel like, uh, baseball savant. Like, what didn't you say? Because um, if you haven't looked up baseball savant, it's a really cool tool for baseball um it basically gives you the percentiles of um every player's like attributes uh like their um sprint speed uh their hard hit percentage or bower percentage stuff like that um so that's i feel like in that definition determining their strengths and weaknesses yeah definitely i think that's you know really well said paul and the thing that i really like about baseball savant is you know if you're someone that doesn't really know a lot about analytics in particular with baseball analytics they really do provide a lot of visually appealing graphs and you know ways that you know you can simply understand just by you know looking at those percentile rankings at such a high view you know you got the red meaning that you know you're towards the top of the league in certain categories and you know more blue is kind of towards the bottom end of the spectrum and so like all you know, ikf yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, and if you're kind of just looking at it at a glance, you can really get a pretty good insight into, you know, what's this player's weaknesses, what's this player's strengths, um, are they undervalued, overvalued, and yeah. So. That's good, that's good. Anything to add? No, I think uh, I think Andrew said it well. I, I would definitely agree. When he did his presentation in our first original uh, sports analytics meeting earlier this year, it really helped uh, looking at those visual graphs of just how it made it look a lot simpler and easier to comprehend these more complex stats. Mm-hmm. It also helps, um, or not really helps, but it really exposes people. Um, so, like, after Derek Jeter retired, my favorite player was Didi Gregorius. I always thought he was really, really good. Um, but after I started to get familiar with baseball savant, I learned that Didi Gregorius was really never, he was never him. So, um, really cool that you can really, uh, determine how good a player is just from this website, even though, like, if they pass the eye test is good, like, people say Isaiah Connorfluff is a good fielder, just look at his baseball savant page. He can't do anything well. (laughs) Um, so there was also another definition I got from bulletin.com. Uh, It says it's the process of plugging statistics into mathematical models to predict the outcome of a given player game. 
Uh, coaches rely on analytics to scout opponents and optimize play calls in games while front offices use it to prioritize player development. Um, so I took this definition to mean um, or relate it to uh, what football coaches do on, like, fourth downs. Um, so if you hear um, a lot of the time NFL announcers are like, oh, the analytics is telling him to go for it here. Um, so basically they have statistical data from, like, all time of how likely they are to convert fourth downs. Um, so there, there could be coaches that are just very conservative where even if it's over 50%, uh, to make that fourth down historically, um, they still won't. Um, still, they still won't go for it. But you see teams like the Chargers that literally just go for it every single time. But uh, definitely, that's where I took from it. Um, and where it says like front offices as well, uh, baseball really came to mind for me. But I'm sure with every single sport, um, they do it as well. So. Yeah, definitely. And just kind of going off of that, too, I think the best way to think about analytics in terms of sports and really analytics in general, even if it's not sports related, it's really just the process of, you know, getting all this aggregated data that you have, filtering through it, organizing it, you know, cleaning the data and then really taking what you want from it because you have all this data and, you know, you could be given a certain task like why is player X, you know, struggling to hit the ball against lefties, you know, in certain situations or, you know, why are we getting in these fourth down situations and, you know, given football, um, fourth and long or whatever it might be. And, you know, why aren't we converting? Right. And you can really have all this data that you have access to and really whittle it down into specific scenarios that you want to look for. And that's really what it comes down to. It's really, you know, collecting, filtering, organizing, and then you could do your analysis part. So I think that's perfectly said. And, uh, I really do think that another way people can understand was actually your application to the Phillies. So, like, they gave you a data set, and you were able to use that data set to try and predict on base percentage leaders. So yeah. I think, like, a way to manipulate data to see what you want, I feel like that's a really good way to explain it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our club, now we're just going to jump in um, to a, in a little di- different direction. We cover football, baseball, soccer, basketball, and hockey. Um, so we have guest speakers, um, we have weekly club meetings, um, weekly articles that get posted for the sports, and of course now our first podcast, so we'll be doing um, podcasts as well. Um, and now, let's jump into the MLB playoffs. Um, guys, what are your first thoughts on the Phillies and Padres, not only being in the ALCS, but just like here, like this series, what do you think? Uh, yeah, well, I, uh, you see the Padres, they have all the big names in their lineup. They oh, have... sorry, I mean NLCS. My bad. Continue. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, yeah, so the Padres, they have these big names. They have Machado, they have Soto, and uh, so they've played, Soto's already has his World Series. They've played uh, a lot of big games in their li- in their, uh, in their careers, and they have some pitching that is getting hot at the right time, and then their, uh, their three-headed monster that they have is starting is uh, going to be able to win them a lot of games, I think, and uh, you look at the other side with the Phillies, it's remarkable that they're even in this situation I feel like I think the Padres it's definitely surprising for them to get past the Padres or to get past the Dodgers sorry but if you look back at the Phillies on July 1st I don't think anyone would have predicted that they would be in the NLCS going into game three tied uh but yeah no so they have they have Schwarber it was Schwarber got really hot early now now they're starting to 
really rely on their pitching staff, and I think it's really whoever's lineup can consistently produce runs against this pitching uh, these pitching uh, matchups right now. Yeah, and I mean, as long as Joe Musgrove doesn't have anything on his ear, I think it would be a fair series. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, you got two teams that coming into the season and, you know, within the past couple of years, they've really poured a lot of money into, you know, building these powerhouses, so to say. Um, and, you know, in both of these divisions, I don't think, you know, you projected to see the Phillies or the Padres kind of coming out. Uh, you know, in the NL East, you got the Braves and the Mets. You got the Dodgers, who are perennial, you know, NLCS, even World Series contenders, I would say. And, you know, both of these teams are really hot right now. You know, they caught right. fire in October uh, towards the end of the season as well. And I think, you know, I, I really could see this series going to seven games and it really being a toss-up. But um, kind of plugging a little bit my article for the week, <laughs> um, the Padres, I can kind of see them coming out on top ultimately. And, um, you know, three key reasons, I would say. The first reason is the bottom of their order, 79 hitters, has relatively been the same throughout this postseason. They've used this combination, uh, you know, seven games with Haas Young Kim in the seven hole, Trent Grisham in the eight hole, and Austin Nola in the nine hole. And in particular, Nola and Grisham have really led the Padres' offense in a lot of key categories. Uh, in particular, I think something to look at with, with uh, Austin Nola is his 78.6% contact rate. Um, you know, on the surface level, you know, you might not be able to glean much from that, but looking at the situations that he's come up in with runners in scoring position, he's really been clutch. I, I know he's gotten a couple sack flies, and, you know, in the postseason and, you know, you'll see it on the other side of it with, you know, the Yankees and the Astros, two teams that really rely on the home run a lot. And, you know, you'll say, well, you know, you got to hit the long ball in October to be successful. But, you know, Nola's come up in key situations, and he's produced Trent Grisham. You know, he's he's got a 1,019 OPS, which only trails Bryce Harper's, you know, 1,390 OPS wow. for players remaining on, on the teams that are still in the, the National League mm. side of things of the playoffs. So, and his three home runs, you know, two of them have come off brand names, Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer. And what these guys have really done is they've lengthened the Padres' lineup. And that's something that is, you know, really, really crucial in October. Teams that have the depth that are able to, you know, call on the number of guys who might not always be key contributors but get the job done. It really lengthens the lineup. And, you know, that can really determine which teams go home and which teams advance and to put that into perspective, the seven, eight, nine hitters for the other remaining playoff teams, uh, at least entering uh, game after game three of the NLDS that the Padres beat the Dodgers in, uh, the seven through nine hitters were only hitting 176 with a 527 OPS, wow. and the Padres have definitely, uh, I'd say, even doubled that almost with a 345 average and a 1038 OPS. So okay. they really are uh, producing and. That's a key reason, and another one is Josh Hader's gotten himself right. Um, kind of seeing the shade shades of uh, Josh Hader of old, and um, he's really done a good job this postseason just completely locking it down, um, only giving up one hit, walked one batter, got 10 strikeouts en route to four saves, got a 16.9 Ks per nine, 143 batting average on balls in play, a 038 whip, 038 whip, which is... Uh, 
I mean, the numbers really speak for themselves. And by the way, he also struck out eight consecutive batters. He's the first pitcher in postseason history to do that. Yeah, so that's pretty wild. I think he's back, at least for now, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and hopefully his career track record, you know, shows that, you know, he's here to stay and he's, he's finally gotten himself right. And, you know, the starting pitching, as alluded to before, with their trio of, you know, Musgrove, Darvish, and Snell, they've just been dominant and they've given four quality starts in the eight games that they've started this postseason Padres have ended up winning six of those games so I mean they got a 75 percent chance with any of those three guys on the mound to win the game I think Mm -hmm. that's all you can ask for especially in the postseason but whether or not pitching wins championships or not I think you know Trent Grisham and Austin Nola they might be able to carry him who knows yeah (laughs) it's true Uh, I mean for me um I think it's more of a surprise that the Phillies are there uh, the Padres have been building this team for a pretty long time now, um, and they traded for Juan Soto, Josh Hader at the deadline. They have so many stars on this team. Like, I feel like it was just a matter of time where they just clicked. Um, honestly, I think if the Padres do win this series, it's going to be hard to take them down out of the AL. Um, their pitching is, is really, really good. Um but I don't know. We'll see with that. Uh, let's switch gears to the Yankees and Astros. Uh, I'm a Yankee fan. Andrew's a Yankee fan. Uh, yeah. Zach is a Red Sox fan. Um, so he might smile at our sadness. But um, right now it is 2-0 Astros in this series. Um, it's not looking too bright uh, for the Yankees. But a glimmer of hope. Um, this is the same thing that happened in 2017. The Yankees did win three straight at home. Um, Garrett Cole's on the mound for game three. Uh, he's your ace. He's pitched well in the playoffs so far. Um, seems like he's got that dog in him. Um, so hopefully he can secure the Yankees a uh, their first win of this series. Um, I personally think that they will pull it off uh, in the Bronx. I think the Bronx will be rowdy. Uh, us Yankee fans absolutely despise the Astros, and I think we will come out. Um, I think the fans will come out and be loud. Um, what also I've noticed, we have been getting outplayed. I'm not going to say we, the Yankees, I'm not part of the Yankees, but Yankees have been getting outplayed, but honestly not that by that much. Yesterday it was one pitch against, um, one pitch that was honestly located in not a bad spot that just got taken for a three-run shot. Uh, Alex Bregman, got to tip your cap to him, great player, um, but, I mean, Aaron Judge came inches away from a home run. That could have just turned the tables right there. Uh, I think they are right in this series. They can turn the tables, but it is a must-win Game 3 for the Yankees. Um, I mean, there's not really much much else to say with that. The Astros' bullpen definitely has the edge on the Yankees. Um, but Garrett Cole, I mean, one of the best pitchers in the MLB, so I will give the Yankees the edge at home in game three yeah no so uh as much as you think that i uh, i smiled that the yankees are down i don't want to see as a red sox fan i don't want to see the astros win either so it's not really <laughs> it's kind of a lose-lose situation everyone here. could agree that no one likes the astros yeah, no, no one no one likes the astros and at the point it's at this point that it's just it's tiring seeing them there every year six years straight they've been in the alcs yeah it's it's absolutely it's incredible it's a credible run but there's just not really much substance to it and there's there's a lot of hate towards them which is well deserved so <laughs> yeah. um but yeah when you look at the Series. Uh, the Yankees, as Paul mentioned, they have the right guy on the mound on uh, on t- tomorrow, and that's going to be a big uh, 
big telltale sign to like if they have a chance in this series if they go down 3-0 it's these things are not the tides will be pretty much completely onto the side of uh Houston and right now I think that the the Yankees know that their lineup can produce more um They've gotten some pretty decent uh, pitching uh, performances. They, they can't really complain, but the offense is just kind of stagnated. They've been getting a little bit of production from someone like Harrison Bader, like a lot more than you could expect, but yeah. you still get a couple people who you would expect a little bit more from. Donaldson comes to mind specifically. He's been struggling. He needs to step it up. Yep. Yeah, uh, so there's, there's, there's definitely room to improve in the Yankees' uh, in the Yankees uh, lineup, and I also think that it's quite possible that, that that does happen. And if they do, if they can win at least two games in New York over the next three or four days, mm-hmm. I think that this could be a competitive series going back to Houston. But if they go back and it's three one, it's I think it's yeah. Or they, they or I'm sorry, no. If they if they there's a chance that they could lose this in New York. I think if if they lose tomorrow. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Totally agree with you, Zach. I think anything less than. Well, anything less than winning two games would mean that they're done, but you got to come out of New York with at least winning two of the three games to give yourself a chance. I mean, you know, if you, you win all three, that'd be probably the the perfect picture mm-hmm. the Yankees could have just going back in and having only win one game in Houston. And, you know, as Paul said, that was the same scenario in 2017. The home team won every single game in that series. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you come out of the Bronx with, with three wins – I think that's the ideal scenario. Uh, you win two, you go back to Houston with the series. Um, quick math, I'm the math major. I got to think of this. <laughs> you go back with the series. Uh, you know, three two. You got to win two games in Houston, which is a tough ask. I think, um, especially with the way the Yankees have played there um, over the past couple years. Not much success in Houston, um, but you know, I think. As much as I don't like the Astros, you really do have to tip the, their, the cap to them. You know, they've kind of retooled their their roster. You know, there's not a lot of carryover from that 2017 team. You know, you got the big names, obviously Altuve, Bregman, uh, Gurriel, um, Verlander, obviously on the pitching side of things. But you know, Correa's not there anymore. Springer's not there anymore. Um, and you got some new faces. You know, Jordan Alvarez is an absolute stud. Animal. Kyle Tucker is really a five-tool player. Yeah, no, he's awesome, too. And, you know, you've brought in guys like Michael Brantley, and, you know, they they got the right guy leading them with Dusty Baker. You know, I I don't think they could have made a better decision to try and, you know, rebrand themselves after the cheating scandal. Yeah, Dusty Baker has done a great job. Yeah, and, you know, I think it it really is a testament to the way the organizations run. Um, You know, I'm not not a fan, as I've mentioned, but... (laughs) You know, the sustained success is, is really, um, you know, it's really unheard of. You know, you see it with the Dodgers, and there aren't many teams in baseball that have been able to sustain this level of success for so long, especially in consecutive years. And they've really done it with a different team. Um, but, you know, I, I'm an optimist. I'm hoping the Yankees can pull it off. Um, I agree with Paul. I don't think that they're so far away from putting it all together mm-hmm. uh it's definitely a must-win game tomorrow with garrett cole on the mound you can't go down three others i, I think they would have next to no yeah. chance of winning point, four in a row yeah, against houston um I, yeah. i'm gonna pose a question do you think that this is the best yankees team in like these so we've played we played them in the wildcard game uh, what was that, 2016? I think 2016, And yeah. then we played them 2017 ALCS, or was it the 2015 Walker game? I don't know. But you, you guys can fact-check me on that one. But 
Um, so the twenty the wild card game, the twenty seventeen ALCS, twenty nineteen ALCS, now the twenty twenty two ALCS. Is this the best Yankees team that has played the Astros? I mean, well, let's see. The Yankees, I got to pull up right here. The Yankees, obviously this year they're playing the Astros. That's underway. They played the Astros in the 2019 ALCS, lost that four games to two. They played the Astros in the 2017 ALCS, lost that four to three. Played them in the wild card game in 2015. That was just the single game back then, lost that game. Mm -hmm. And it looks like that's... Yeah, yeah, we've, I think that was we've it. played them since 2015, one, two, three, four times. Yes. And by we, I mean the Yankees. I just have a habit of doing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, i got to get rid of that too. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say because I, I really feel like this was the first season the Yankees really tried to overhaul the roster. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the... the the, the criticism of being, you know, too right-handed, you know, we, they tried to fix that um, last year at the trade deadline with acquiring Rizzo and Gallo, and, you know, we all know how the Gallo situation panned out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the lineup at the end of the day still is really right-handed. It is. And, and the loss of Benintendi really also takes your lefty contact guy out of the lineup. Exactly. And I think that this team had the potential to be one of the, the most well-rounded teams that, I think the Yankees have had in, in recent history, you know, with especially the acquisitions they made at the trade deadline and the success that the team had to start the season. I mean, I don't think anyone really thought that they could sustain that level of play. Yeah. I think that they were playing well over their heads. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think, I don't know if I would say it's maybe the best team, but, I mean, there are definitely glaring holes. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, I mean, I think Rizzo is the best first baseman the Yankees have had since... Teixeira. Yeah, um, I think so. You know, and I think getting Glaber right towards the end of the season was big. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still consistency for him. As we know, IKF at short is is not ideal, and Donaldson really hasn't done much this season either. But And then the outfield situation, I think, has been pretty, you know, good considering, mm -hmm. you know, I think with Judge, especially post-trade deadline immediately after with Judge, then Intendi and... You know, I think they were throwing Oswaldo out there mm -hmm. more often than Hicks. He's been he's been great. But yeah, I think you know, given everyone healthy, and you know, I think the ideal world, if the Yankees could have fielded you know Benintendi, Bader, and Judge in the outfield, mm -hmm. I think that would have been amazing. Yeah. And you know, then I think the guys like Donaldson and IKF, you know, not hitting, not carrying their own weight, probably wouldn't have been as glaring. But I think that in a perfect world. You know, maybe this is the best roster the Yankees have had. Um, obviously, injuries are a part of it. Mm -hmm. Guys not producing is a part of it, um, as always. But, yeah, I mean, I think defensively and, you know, running the bases, this team, those were two areas that the team really needed to improve upon from mm -hmm. last year, and they, I would say, successfully did that. Yeah. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, the Astros, I think, on paper, have been better than the Yankees on paper every single time. That, yeah. They've, they've met each other in the playoffs, um, and it's just always been that that thing. You know, someone that I was talking to the other day says it just seems like the Yankees are a road bump on the the way to the World Series for the Astros it's every year. Ridiculous, it's true. you know, it's 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 pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, like you said, tomorrow's must win. If they win that game, the optimist in me says I think they still have a chance. Yeah. But, you know, I, I could see this. You know, obviously, you know, losing tomorrow would. I think, you know, 
next to near impossible to win that series. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they got swept four games. But um, I think if they win tomorrow, they give themselves a shot to push it to Game 7, ideally. I mean, Game 6, hopefully they could win it. But, yeah. you know, but Game 7 would, you know, come down to being in Houston. And as history says, I don't, I don't know how confident I would be in that. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, I think that this rotation um, out of the, those four playoff series, uh, I think it's the best that it's been. Um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, Cole, Nestor, Seve, that that's a good one, two, three. Um, and without the injuries to the bullpen, I think it would have been our best bullpen. Yep. Um, we lost Chad Green, Zach Britton. I'm not really, I don't really care too much about the <laughs> loss of Zach Britton, but um, Michael King was a huge loss. Yeah. So, I mean, if all those guys were there, like Lewisica's great, uh, Wani Peralta has been magnificent for the Yankees. Uh, Clay Holmes, I mean, he's still Clay Holmes. Yeah. Um, hasn't he had a little weird stretch, but still great. So if they were still healthy, I think, um, I think we would have had. I think we would have been pretty equal. Yeah. With the Astros, but no Marinaccio either. That's big. I, that, yeah, I forgot about him. He he was great. Um, so now we're just going to go off to what do you think your World Series is going to be? Uh, Zach, let's go to you. Yeah, so I said uh, I think it's going to be Padres-Astros, and uh, I think that the Astros probably win that series in probably five or six games. I think uh, I think their lineup is consistent enough, but I think the reason that they, they do go, it does go to five or six games is I think, as we mentioned earlier, either Musgrove, Snell, or Darvish is going to win at least one or two games for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they could uh, pressure the Astros a little bit, but they're, they're, that lineup is going to have to stay consistent one through nine for them to have a chance against yeah. like the power hitting Astros. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I would like to say Yankees, but I'm going to say Astros, Padres as well. Um, I just think that the Padres have so much going for them right now, and if they can win this series against the Phillies, they'll have a lot of momentum riding into the World Series, uh, especially you know with beating the 101-win Mets and 111-win Dodgers. You know, they've already done the seemingly impossible. Um, so I think, and, and I think, ultimately, I, I would have the Padres beating the Astros uh, either in six or seven games. That's I think the rotation is, I, like I think the rotation is solid. At, you know, the top three, uh, people forget about Clevenger. I mean, he's been up and down, I think, this season and coming off of injury. But even if they could have him, you know, scrap out three or four innings in a, in a possible game four, uh, you know, I think that that would be a great scenario for them. But, yeah, and I think, you know, Hater at the back end of the bullpen, the bottom of the order still, you know, keeps up the production that they've been having, even half of the production that they've been getting. You know, I think that guys will wake up and, you know, lengthening that lineup, the depth is there. So I think it remains to be seen, you know, what this Padres team could actually do. And, uh, you know, they're doing it all without Fernando Tatis Jr. So it's pretty impressive. It is. Scary to think of what they might be capable of next year when he does come back. For sure. Um, I think I'm a very optimistic fan. Uh, My prediction, I think it's going to be Yankees-Phillies. I think it's going to be a 2009 rematch. Um, I think the Yankees take it in six games. Um, But, I mean, that is very optimistic there. But I don't know. I, I feel like the Yankees are going to catch that momentum at home and kind of ride it. Um, but Do you I remember don't know. how many games they won the 09 World Series in against the Phillies? I think it was six as well, right? It was yeah. six, yeah. So. The Phillies won one, the Yankees won three straight, so he's won one more, and then the Yankees finished it off at home. Um, 
So let's. Paul, I, have a, I have a quick question. Yeah, for you, Paul. what's going on? How many uh, how many games do you think it would take seven for to, for the Yankees to beat the Astros? Um, I think they'll take them to seven. Yeah. Um, I think that they'll take. I think they're going to win back to back games. I think they're going to win game three four. Um, would Cole be back for that game seven, or would he be in six? Um, I think they would probably rush him back to six, mm-hmm. maybe. Only because yeah, I think they're, I think the Astros will win the last game in Yankee Stadium to go up three two, and I think the Yankees pull off the upset and win two games back to back in Houston. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be the dagger that the Yankees need. Unless okay. the, I think the Astros look at us like we're the Twins, the way the Yankees look at the Twins. <laughs> I think that's how they look at us. But we'll see. Uh, let's transition into the NBA. Um, this is going to be a lot posed to Zach because he is our head of uh, basketball. So my question is, Zach, do you think there are any players that um, are going to take a leap this year? Um, I don't know, take it away. Yeah, so uh, a couple of uh, guys, uh, two specifically that I found that uh, were kind of less herald uh, rookies last year in the NBA. Uh, the first one is Trey Murphy the third, uh, the shooting guard for the Pelicans. Uh, he uh, He's a sharpshooting wing on a team that is going to be able to dominate teams inside with the return of Zion Williamson. So a lot of effort is going to go into s- stopping them in the paint and trying to stop Zion. And uh, playing off the ball with someone like C.J. McCollum and even coming in, filling that role uh, of C.J. McCollum on that offense, I think he's going to get a lot of open looks uh, from three. And a uh, quick statistic here, he... Uh, over the last 16 games of his season last year, he averaged 10.1 points per game on 45% from three. So he's definitely uh, shown that he's capable of hitting that for at least a semi-decent stretch, and he's one guy that I think could, uh, could take a big leap this year into averaging 12, 14 points a game off the bench. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, so then the other guy I think is uh, someone that has been all over uh, social media for his dribbling moves, but uh, Bones Highland is another player that I'm extremely high on. Uh, the shifty guard from Denver. He uh, he's um, he's back. He's uh, playing a backup role right now. But we've all seen Jamal Murray gotten hurt a couple times. Uh, obviously, we're not. We don't want that to happen to anyone. But if that were to happen, uh, Bones would definitely get extended playing time. And also, just coming off the bench, he uh, he finished last year uh, with his last uh, 15 games of the year last year with a true. Or sorry, with uh, with failing to uh, break uh, less than ten points, he only uh, scored less than ten points twice in the final seventeen games of the year, and uh, in that same stretch, he also exceeded twenty twice. So he definitely showed improvement towards the end of the season, and he finished with a pretty impressive fifty-six percent true per- true shooting percentage last year, which is uh, a really nice thing that you like to see coming from uh, someone that's kind of a spark plug offensive player off the bench. What is like a normal? Do you know like what the normal like uh, true shot percentages. Yeah, it wouldn't be anything more than well. Well, it depends. Like for obviously a bigger player, it's going to be they're taking a lot more high efficient shots. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the true shooting percentage is more focused on uh, players. Like it takes into how many different shots they take, so it kind of tries to bring it all together. But, okay. Uh, like a guard, someone like uh, Von Tylen, that's that's a very uh, probably in the upper seventy fifth percentile. I would say. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say my breakout player of the year is Emmanuel Quickly, okay? Okay. Um, comes off the bench, nice three-point shooter. I don't know much about basketball, I'm not going to lie, but that guy's a beast. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, he's someone kind of like Trey Murphy, uh, someone that just you throw him into the lineup, he might not be the best defender on the court, but he gets hot from three, and 
they're they're going to start playing a lot harder exactly. on defense, and exactly. the momentum's going to go their way. So they can be an excellent addition to any team. And uh, one player I think that could be a breakout player for the Knicks this year is actually uh, Cam Reddish, who we already saw kind of mm-hmm. break out in a little way on uh, I think it was Wednesday night versus the uh, Grizzlies. He went for it. Uh, Twenty-point game off the bench. He hit the big shot at the end of regulation. That's so, pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, he's got a nice looking uh, game. Obviously, he played with uh, R.J. back at Duke, so he's gonna he's got that comfortability with them. Now he's been in uh, been in New York for an off season, so he's he's there. He's more comfortable now, and I think that he's gonna hopefully see an expanded role because he's really shown that he has a has the potential to score and play at a high level. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I was watching that game and. He hit that clutch three, and then in overtime, yeah. <laughs> kind of forced up that three there at the yeah. end. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. again, I don't really follow basketball too too much, but you know, I'm a fair weather Knicks fan, I'll say. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, when they're good, I'll watch. When they're not, <laughs> maybe not. But might be taking some heat for that. But you'll watch them every ten years. <laughs> probably, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I think there's always a lot of optimism in New York sports. Uh, as we see with with the Knicks year in and year out, but um, yeah, you know, I I would say that I'd agree with you. I think Emmanuel quickly, from what I've seen at least so far in his NBA career, he had a great rookie season. Kind of thought his usage last year was you know a little different. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, Zach, but I think he was. I don't know. Yeah, no. The, well, the Knicks, uh, the Knicks, uh, they uh, kind of fell apart at the end of last year. There wasn't really a lot of. Um, they didn't really have a point guard, right? Derrick Rose getting a lot yep. of the time. Now mm-hmm. they have Jalen Brunton, some of that, and someone that will be able to kind of set up, let someone like quickly play off the ball a lot more. So that'll that'll open up a lot of opportunities for him, and hopefully his usage goes up to something similar of when he got hot his rookie year. He was starting a couple games for them. Yep. Was, mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. Getting a lot of action. Definitely. Um, so now I just wanted to transition to our last topic of the day. We're going to be talking about football um i'm a giants fan andrew what are you i'm a jets fan okay you're a jets fan and zach and i am a patriots fan all right so we have a lot of diversity here (laughs) um so my first question is are the jets and the giants for real um i think that i'm gonna say yes here um i think they both got the right coaches um i think that they've drafted the right way i think the last two years the jets and the giants I think especially this year, both aced the draft. Absolutely. Both of them. Um, the Jets, what, they got? They had three picks in the first round this year. Yeah. Um, sauces look good for the Jets. Um, Zach Wilson has looked good since he's come back. Yeah. Uh, I think the Jets are heading in the right direction. Um, the Giants, I think they got their, their GM in Joe Shane. I think he was the right guy. Uh, Brian Dable, I think there's absolutely no argument that... He is not the right guy. I think he's here to stay. I don't think it's going to be another uh, one of those situations where they're good for the first year and then they stink. Um, I Joe think, Judge. Yeah, Joe Judge, <laughs> uh, Ben McAdoo. Uh, I don't think it's going to be like that. He's different. I love his enthusiasm. You don't see other coaches like just getting hype on the sidelines, like happy. They try to keep their cool. No, he wants to win just as much as the players do, and he lets it show. So I, I do think that with the culture change um, and the players, the team that they're putting together, I think both teams are heading in the right direction. And another side note on the Giants, I do think it's really, really impressive that their team is not, like, their roster is not that good. But their coaching is putting them in positions to win every single game. And they're, they're they 
believe in their hearts that they can win, and they do it. I mean, that win against the Ravens, like, that was pretty incredible. Like, yeah. th- they should not have won that game, but they found a way to win. So, uh, pretty impressive so far. Uh, Zach, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, talking about the Jets, I, uh, I think that their uh, their defense is legit. Robert Salah is probably one of the top three defensive minds in the league yeah, right now. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's same thing with Dable. They just get their players ready to play. Like mm-hmm. their, their teams want to play for these guys. Uh, so that's that's a that's a huge similarity between these two New York fans that or two New York teams, and that gets your fans really hyped up and gets mm-hmm. everyone into it. You know what I mean? When you yeah. see these guys on the sideline, uh, when you see all the players loving with uh, hanging out with all of them and really uh, bonding. But uh, yeah, so looking like for, looking forward for the Jets, I uh, I liked I liked like obviously the improvements that they're making. They're not for making uh, Zach Wilson really do too much. They're not having him drop back and try to throw it 40, 50 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. kind of keeping it close to the line of scrimmage, letting Brees Hall do his uh, do his thing. He's been good, too. Yeah. Very dominant. Yeah. Um, Great fantasy sure. player so far. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. And may or um, may not have dropped him in one of my leagues early <laughs> on. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So, But um, I don't know if the playoffs happen this year for the Jets. They, uh, I was looking at their schedule. They still have the Patriots and the Bills twice this year, so the division obviously isn't ideal. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. The AFC does, is probably going to have a lot of teams around that 8, 9, 10 win mark, so it might be tough to scoot in, but if you beat uh, the right people and you get that tiebreaker over them and they win 8, 9, 10 games, then it could definitely be a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah, totally. I I agree with you. I think the AFC is going to be very difficult to get out of this year. Yeah, I think if so we look too. at both conferences, I think mm-hmm. the AFC is the stronger of the two. Yeah, you know, I think the Giants have probably a more clear path to making the playoffs. I would say. I think so. Um, even though they're in you know the same division with the Eagles and the Cowboys, and mm-hmm. the Jets got the Dolphins and the the Bills and the Patriots have been you know opening some eyes as well. I would mm-hmm. say, um, even without Mac Jones. But uh, you know, I think that the Jets are. Legit, you know, I don't want to jinx them, and you know, I've been in this position many years before, uh, <laughs> where we think we got a good Jets team, and they collapse and crumble, and you know, disappoint us again. But you know, I think that they really have playmakers at those key positions. You know, you talk about Brees Hall; he's been, I would argue, say maybe the best offensive rookie of the year so far i mean he's got a lot of scrimmage yards you know him and damian pierce as well on Mm -hmm. on the texans those are two guys that come to mind but he just seems to take over the game whenever he touches the ball you know he's uh got ability to create you know space for himself uh you know really runs with conviction and it's really interesting how they use him with certain you know schemes and plays on the offense i mean he came across on that jet sweep last week got a touchdown out of that play Mm -hmm. um so you know he's he's a playmaker and you know, they got Sauce Gardner on the defensive side of things who I believe he didn't even let up a touchdown in his, you know, college career at yeah. Cincinnati. So, you know, he's proved to be a lockdown corner, which has been, you know, secondary has always been an issue for the Jets, especially mm-hmm. in, you know, most recent years. But, yeah, you know, I think that it, it's coming together for the Jets. And, I think so, too. You know, I think the Giants definitely have a more clear path to the playoffs this year. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Jets are able to, you know, really make some good progress this season, keep the court intact heading into next year. And, you know, maybe maybe they're maybe they're ready for the playoffs next year. You know, maybe it could be a uh, Cincinnati Bengals deal where they do squeak into the playoffs this year and, you know, just catch fire because, you know, most people forget, but the Bengals were like the worst team in football two years ago yeah. and then made the Super Bowl last year. So, and then when the Niners made the Super Bowl most recently, 
Um, they went like two and fourteen in the next season. What they did? They go fourteen and two. It was like something like crazy record. And they made yeah. the Super Bowl. Um, so I didn't think it happened. It's yeah. football. Yeah. I also you don't beat Aaron Rodgers <clears throat> by accident. Yeah. The Jets and the Giants both beat Aaron Rodgers. Like that. That's not an easy task. And not for anything. The Jets. The Jets crushed them. Yeah. Like that's that's pretty wild. Um, you know, I guess you could make the argument. Oh well, you know, he doesn't have Devontae Adams anymore. He doesn't have the weapons he used to. But you Who know, the, the defense and have? <laughs> <laughs> the defensive James? side of things. I mean, you know, the, the the Packers just seem to be stumbling right now. I, I just yeah, can't but, put a point fingers to it. But like you say, I mean, beating Aaron Rodgers is, doesn't just happen by accident. Yeah. You know, Aaron Rodgers is still one of those players that. If you're good enough, you find ways to win. Exactly. Doesn't matter who you're throwing the ball to. Doesn't matter who's blocking for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think Jets Giants Super Bowl maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe. We yeah. said that about the Yankees and the Mets. So, so we'll see. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> but <laughs> um, quick, another thing about the Giants. I think that their defensive line is levels and levels better than it has been in recent history. Um, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, and uh, O'Shea Jimenez. I mean, that's that, I think that's a solid four right there. Um, great job by building that. I mean, you got to give some credit to Dave Gettleman, too. Uh, Dexter Lawrence has been a beast. Uh, Evan Neal uh, is coming together. Andrew Thomas is an absolute stud. So um, I think they're looking up. Now, a um, couple more things. Um, I just wanted to bring up, do you guys think, really quick here, because uh, we're, we're, we're going a lot on time, but... Um, do you think the Giants should extend Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, and or like which? What do you guys think here? Zach, you want to take that? Yeah. So uh, when I look at Saquon, I probably uh, I say if the, if you he was willing, he's not going to sit out or uh, they're really getting cause too much drama. I think if the Giants are able to franchise tag him, I think that's a beneficial thing for both sides. He gets mm-hmm. paid guaranteed money. At, I think it's what number five in the for that position, right? It's at, that's yeah. how the franchise tag works. So I think that would be pretty beneficial for both if he shows that he could stay healthy for another year. He's probably in line for a pretty big contract. He's still pretty young. Yeah. Um, I just think that he'll be hesitant to not hold out because of his injury, like his injuries, yeah. like in the past. Like if he's having this literal best year of his career right now, I think he will not play until he gets a contract. Mm-hmm. I feel like he just wouldn't. I feel like his agent would just be like, dude, like he, he can't Don't risk it. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, that, I mean, that's what I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely possible. He is a team yeah. player. I mean, you saw it last week when he slid, uh, he could have gotten a touchdown, yeah. but he went down. So you could definitely see that. Um, I think also the giants do re-sign Daniel Jones. Yeah. I think they sign him to like a cheap two year deal. Um, yeah. he's played well enough this season to get re-signed. Yeah. Um, what are, you, what are your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, definitely, I agree. And even just going back to Saquon, you know, he'll be 26 entering next year. So, I mean, he's still, you know, at that prime age, mm-hmm, I would say, in sure. his career. Um, you know, we know the track record, though, of, you know, running backs in the NFL is, you know, it's hit or miss, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the, miss, 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 hit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and a guy with Saquon's talent doesn't really come around too often. So I think even given his injury history, I think it would be wise for the Giants to re-sign him and, and lock him up for you know the next five six years mm-hmm. just to ensure that and you know if you take the the hit of towards the end of the, that contract he starts to decline I think that's you know well worth the, the price willing to pay um, and then even Daniel Jones I think you said it perfectly Paul he's played well enough well enough you know and 
the Giants are, are winning games, yeah. you know, and confidently winning games too. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're just by chance winning these games. Like they're, they're legit. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, you got to look at the market also. Like who would you replace these guys with? Yeah, you know, exactly. like, is there someone that could step in and, you know, be half the semblance of a guy like Saquon Barkley? You know, you can't really fill those shoes with someone. Um, but yeah. Um, and even, you know, I see like we kind of, Switching topics a little bit. I know you want to talk a little bit about the Patriots, also, but <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if, if that's in the time limit, we're all we're all set there. We got, yeah. uh, well, no, I mean, I, yeah. Final question, um, Zach. Do you think that Zach uh, Zach Jones? <laughs> do you think Mac Jones's job is in jeopardy? Um, I said right now where we stand, like where we are in time right now. I do not think it is in jeopardy. I mean, it's, he was drafted in the first round a year ago, had probably the second or third best rookie QB season that we've seen in the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's he's still the same guy. I would say that he now does know that uh, he has someone threatening behind him. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this as a Patriots fan, and also someone that hopefully this is the way that Max thinking is that with someone sitting right behind him, he can't continue to make some of the um, less. Uh, less likely completed passes that he's been throwing up. He, uh, he already has five interceptions this year through three games, so that uh, definitely wasn't a recipe for winning. And I really think that with, on the Patriots, and you see it with, honestly with the, uh, with the Giants right now, but you, at quarterback you, just, you don't necessarily need someone to be winning you every game. You it's just true. can't let them lose you games. It, yeah, yeah just, just do not turn the yeah. ball over. So that's what, that's what I think Bill Belichick cares about. So if, I think if Mac comes back out and he has another three-interception game, we could be seeing Bailey Zappi back in, back in with both of them still being healthy. But I think if uh, Mac comes out and plays the conservative style that he should play with Ramadre Stevenson in the backfield, then he should be all right. And then we have uh, someone that has shown to be a very capable backup quarterback at a very young age in Bailey Zappi behind him. So I think it's a pretty decent situation. It's really not a bad problem to have. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely could light a fire under Mac Jones. So it could could, elevate his game. You never know. Uh, Also... One last thing uh, I wrote down here. I just wanted to say I do think the Giants should trade for a wide receiver. Odell? I mean, I would not be opposed <laughs> to signing Odell. But I think his timeline just got pushed back, didn't it? Yes. I think I saw something That's a too, playoff yeah. move. Like, yeah, he's, like, only going to be playing yeah. for the playoffs, I think. But we, yeah. the Giants need, like, all credit to Saquon Barkley that he can single-handedly carry an offense, but we need we need a receiver. How about Elijah Moore, Or the Giants, I should say. Oh, well, I saw Elijah Moore, that, I'd give up a fourth-rounder for him. I saw the well, Jets don't just, want to trade him, though, so I, yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't know, know. what's, what's going to happen there. Yeah. But, got some plans. Yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely remains to be seen. I mean, figured we'd share the love a little bit and <laughs> you know talk a little bit about Jets, Giants, and yeah. Patriots, given that we're all fans of those teams. But, yes. yeah, you know, I think, uh, I don't know if it's, it's possible, but they're, there might be a chance that you could see four teams possibly coming out of the AFC East, you think, making yeah, the playoffs? I, I, mean, I don't think it's completely impossible at this point. I mean, the Patriots, you, I hope I'm as a fan, but at the way that their defense is playing, I think they're going to win a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of football games the rest of the year. They're, they have a really tough end of their schedule. but uh, And then with the Jets, like we said, a lot of teams, like the Patriots are going to be in that same range, 8 to 10 wins. Yeah. You know I mean? And if they both get there... Yeah, they're right tiebreakers. I think we could definitely yeah. see it because Miami. I think Miami is not not quite a lock, but they're they're going to be there. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think that the uh, Patriots do have a shot to make the playoffs as well. I think I think all the three teams in here could make the playoffs. Yeah. But uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, thank you guys for coming out for the first podcast. I appreciate you guys. You did an awesome job. 
Um, and I appreciate all the listeners who stuck through this 51-minute podcast. Um, I had a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to the next one. Um, and we will see you tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys.